0: Let's wait a few more seconds, okay. There's a bit of delay, but we should be good. So, I'm gonna mute my computer just in case. Yeah, the audio is coming out. Alrighty, so uh, welcome, everybody, everybody, and um. The usual disclaimer, man, this is a big microphone. Can you hear me fine, everyone? You can't hear me. Um, choose the English channel because, um, you know, it's the usual deal. My comp- my, my um, microphone is connected. Oh, actually, yeah. Uh uh-huh okay so uh i can be heard though right nobody else has a problem yeah now you're good okay okay so welcome again uh usual disclaimers uh the sound you hear is the cicadas that are in full swing given that it's the middle of the dry season and so i hope you don't get too distracted by it it's uh, there's nothing i can do about that uh today they're not even as fierce as they were yesterday but um it's uh, we're all gonna have to live with that the second disclaimer is as usual for those who are joining only this time that i already did my prayers and my pranayama before this encounter in order to maximize the you know the the time that we have together so um uh, this is the mm, meeting of the four that we have available where i get to talk about what i really wanted to talk about uh, originally what gave me the idea of um, uh, talking about pranayama uh, this way still i thought it was um, uh, appropriate to give a generic um, uh, you know presentation uh, a generic description of what my concept behind this presentation was in the first encounter and then in the second encounter we talked about the physicality of uh, pranayama and um, the approach or the, um, you know, the the yogic approach, the vision of the yogic, of the yogis about pranayama. And today we're talking about the actual Gaudiya perspective. But keep in mind, like I said at the beginning, Sorry, I got something crawling on me. The beauty of uh, working, living in the forest, yeah, it was just an ant. Luckily, um, Godia perspective doesn't mean anything in particular until probably the very end of this um, conference, today's conference. Um, it's for the most part the pr- perspective of a spiritualist and a personal, personalist spiritualist. Because we said last time that for the most part, pranayama is couched in the um, uh, yogic um, approach and vision of reality. So, pranayama is but a phase that starts with yama and niyama, so observance of certain regulations. Like my Guru Maharaj, Shri Tripurari Maharaj says, it's um, a disqualifier that if you want to even consider the path of bhakti you have to be celibate and that's something that is not very popular nowadays uh because who has that kind of strength most people that just just want to do uh, yoga asanas asanas are the uh, next step um so i'm going to cover what i i'm, I'm, I'm going to briefly covered briefly cover what i discussed in the previous two encounters just to condense it all in this one Um, conference which is the like I said the one that is um, most important to me uh, in in light of what I want to talk about so um, I was saying that um, in yoga what was I saying (laughs) pranayama is a phase Um, yeah unfortunately I lost that train of thought but um, yeah it's very mechanical the approach of yoga is um, very much eat this or contain your energy and um, control your diet, control your breathing, which is the next phase. Oh, that's what I was going to say. Asanas, as a devotee once told me, mean really to uh, treat your body as a chaise longue, as, as, a, as a beach chair for the soul, so that the, if the body is comfort, if the soul is comfortable in the body, you can uh, f- forget about the body and uh, focus on your more real um, nature, uh, on your true nature, which, as we know, is not necessarily d- dependent uh, or... Well, it is related, but it- it's not dependent... Uh, how would you say? it's uh, can live independently from the body and the mind. So, pranayama is the bridge. It takes from the physical to the mental, through the medium of breath. It because um, if you think about it, is somebody saying something? No. Oh, it's I'm sorry. It's just the echo on on uh, on YouTube. If you think about it. Can be found in our own our own body. The liquidity, incidentally, they correspond to solid excrements, liquid excrements. And uh, oops, it says that my internet is unstable. I hope there are no problems. Um, unfortunately, there's nothing I can close. Um, we are talking about liquidity, solidity, liquidity, and there's fire. Uh, um, Represented by the enzymes, uh, digestive enzymes, and then there is um, air, which is the most subtle of the physical um, elements. Technically, ether is even more subtle and still physical, but you can see that air is like the last frontier. And so, by acting on the breath, very physically, controlling it, stretching it, holding it, etc., it affects the nervous system nowadays there's all kinds of uh, breath work available in books and literature where they talk about the um, technicalities of um, acting on the breath how you know pranayama already says that all diseases can be cured by proper pranayama and all kinds of diseases can come from improper application of pranayama that's why it's a very strict you know rigorous practice and and like it's a very physical You know, let's take a little break from this and consider the simplicity of bhakti, where even just by doing bhakti inadvertently, or uh, you know, with mistakes, it still brings uh, dividends in our bank account in the in the bhakti bank account. So that's already something to uh, consider. So going back to the yoga worldview or like in karma if you you know in karma yoga and in uh, in in, um, in the karmic approach and the yogic approach you have to do everything really right to the letter to get your results so pranayama is best adopted after yama yama and asanas etc otherwise you could <clears throat> just uh, spoil everything uh, myself when i don't do pranayama correctly i i'm short of breath all day but anyway i was saying that properly applied pranayama is uh, curing all diseases from mental diseases like depression a lot of things that we don't think about we just think okay i'm oxygenated the blood cannot be a bad thing it has ramifications and implications that you wouldn't imagine if you uh, weren't familiar with the benefits and um, the functionality of pranayama Um, And also I said that pranayama is absorbing prana by or stretching the prana. So you absorb this energy that's all over the universe that can be found in nutritious food or even just the touch of a person who, you know, vibes positively towards you. Or good words, like I say many times in my prayers before this encounter, I pray that my words are charged with prana so that just by sitting through it, whether you understand or not, you get some benefit. So, breath is the most uh, available source of prana, given that we breathe at every... Well, not at every second, but you know, constantly breathing means living. So, there is some some profound implications to, to this, which is what I hope to discuss in the balance of this encounter. So, um, I was saying that as you, so to absorb prana, the best and easiest thing is to breathing, because we don't eat all the time, we don't have love and exchanges all the time, we don't sit in the sun all the time, but we do breathe all the time, even when we sleep. And so by absorbing prana through uh, breathing, this prana goes to our organs, the very mechanical action of breathing in and out massages our organs and it it pushes blood and nutrients and information um, stimulates the nerves and it affects the nervous system in ways that are very very complex uh, in in in, uh, yogic uh, literature i think they mentioned seventy-two thousand nadis if i'm not incorrect which are all our nerve endings and um So, yes, it affects the nervous system, and in the very least it calms our, our mind. Isn't that something we would want? Obviously, yes, it's not um, essential to bhakti. Last time we're talking about the reasons why uh, a bhakta uh, or a bhakti practitioner would look down on pranayama or our acharyas say that it's a distraction to bhakti, because it makes you overly it could make you overly. Um, focused or obsessed with your body, with your health, all the way up to developing um, mystic powers. All these mystic powers, from levitation to the ones that are listed in our um, scriptures, they all start from controlling the breath, from breathing in a certain way that affects your consciousness, kind of like turns on parts of your your, uh, mind, of your brain, and it allows you to act through matter in a certain way. Um, and so I was saying that the idea for this presentation was to not demonize pranayama or anything that is not pure bhakti, because the truth is that um, we don't do pure bhakti, even if it's our uh, ideal. Uh, we all have uh, you know, a family life, we're not the hardcore focused uh, Brahmachari that left everything behind in the 70s to join Prabhupada because of his charisma and because of the sense of urgency they had and there is nothing wrong with that we've become more of a world religion with our family life and our uh, secondary interests so why not use something like pranayama to just even just calm our minds or clear our minds before uh, japa for examples or just to have a better life you know from the health point of view and and and, and the psychophysical point of view and etc so that was the overview I think I covered mostly what I talked about in the last two encounters although briefly what I want to talk about now this time is um, the insights the spiritual insights the insights into reality spirit matter ourselves and what goes on through, um, through breath. It just so happens that um, I read once in a book, I forget where I was, I think it's when uh, our little sangha, when Guru Maharaj and a few disciples, including me, we moved to Point Arena and in a rented house and I just ran into this book by somebody, maybe uh what is... I can't remember, some swami. And it was saying that when we breathe in, we should meditate on so, and when we breathe out, we should meditate on hum. And I'll say in a while, why so hum, what it means, etc., etc. So that's what gave me the idea many later, many years later, which is a few months ago, of how would you make that more goya? So that's what I'm going to try to uh, elaborate on in the balance of this lesson. For now, let's just talk about the, um, if you remember, in our first encounter, I said, the very fact of focusing on your breath is very profound. Or let's say from another point of view, we go most of our lives, most of us go most of their lives totally oblivious, unaware of their own breathing. The very act of breathing, as essential to life as it is, is governed by a part of our nervous system that goes in automatic. Because it's so important, because we cannot forget to breathe, we would die. At the same time, we go about life focusing on everything else but what keeps us alive so and i was saying the implications of that are uh, profound and another funny thing is that the moment you start talking about breath or you start hearing someone talking about breath first thing you do is take a deep breath you're like oh yeah breathing so the metaphor can be made with material life in general we go about life like the song um, Mana says Kamala dala, jala jivana tala mala means that we let our lives slip away like a drop of water uh, slips off a uh, lotus leaf, which is waxy and um, and so uh, it stays. It's waterproof. So it kind of makes you wonder: Am I living life really, or life, or or is life living through me? And before you know, it's it's time to die and what have I done with my life how can you live if you don't know who you are if you don't know what you need if you don't know who you are you don't know what's good for you etc etc so clearly you cannot get to these realizations just by breathing just by noticing oh I'm breathing I'm talking I'll be weaving back and forth between the realizations that you could get just by thinking of your breath and the realizations that you could think about breathing based on the wealth of our um scriptural knowledge clearly this this example of uh, knowing who you are and what's best for you was taken into account the um the the context the vedic context that you are not the body your consciousness etc but uh talking uh again this cicada is distracting me to begin with, so <laughs> I really feel for all of you. Let's, uh, you know, let's keep strong. Um, what was I saying? <sighs> Going back to breathing. Uh, uh, um, um, the very first act we do as we come out of the womb, is to take a breath, uh, to breathing, to take a breath. And the very last thing we do is to breathe out, unwillingly. So, in one sense I said that the very first breath that a baby takes is the beginning of their karmic death. Clearly, you know, life, life after life, but it symbolizes that. You come into the world, you are in the womb, you weren't particularly involved in the mesh of karma. The moment you take a first breath, you're in debt. You've taken from material energy, which is not your energy, is Krishna's energy, so as you are. Um, and you may be thinking, what fault does the baby have for breathing? But, you know, like I said, it's a, it's a metaphor, it's an analogy. Or you could just say that the drive to breathe in is the push of the past karma of that person that wants to express itself karma has to play out but anyway um at every breath in and out maybe somebody wouldn't notice that oh i'm breathing in and i'm breathing out but if we were to like take a step back from reality and i just observed the fact that you need to breathe in and breathe out the very rhythmical nature of uh breathing could be a cue a um, source of inspiration to how would you say analyze uh reality as we're used to in other words breathing is a very clear expression that's <laughs> Literally under our noses of the duality of this world. Little water break. So, all I'm saying is that you could take advantage of your own breathing and um, take it as an opportunity to meditate on the duality of this world. You know, breathe in, breathe out, take, give, full empty and on and on and on if you are familiar if you're already acquainted with them me and my ramblings from my uh, previous presentation on the importance of prayer I was talking for a a long time about how this world can can be seen as a holodeck which if you don't know Star Trek is um, an environment with uh, laser projectors that would recreate uh, a reality, but it's all a hologram. And if you don't know what a hologram is, well, it's a a laser reality. So, um, say it's a virtual reality created by laser. And what we know from scripture is that what we call reality now is virtual, indeed, uh, just as well because when you go to the very essential components of matter, you find atoms which, with uh, so much empty space between the nucleus and the first electron, that makes you wonder, how can I be touching this table? And, and you know, it feels so um, solid, so real and concrete, because the table is made of matter. my. My, my hand is made of meat and bones, but it's essentially the same material elements. So they just interact with one another, just like the pixels in a, in a computer game. They're just pixels, they just have values of uh, 0 and 1. So the computers um, uh, reflect the duality of our own world, of the external world. Um, from the computer's point of view, it's just 0101110 1, But we see—forgive me, but I'm not much of a gamer, so I wouldn't. <laughs> I know that there is a game about uh, what is it, Tomb Raider, with uh, Angelina Jolie. So, anyway, we see the character having to achieve something, jump off a cliff or something—a cliff. It's all pixels, but we give them value, uh, and, um, and 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 uh, the character. Interacts in a way that if this group of pixels that we call Angelina Jolie or us identified with the protagonist of the game jumps Too long she lands on land and if she jumps too short she goes down a cliff But it's all light different values of light. So similarly our own concrete solid real world as we perceive it's just values um, a uh, particular configuration of um, material atoms so we're talking about the holodeck and uh, so yeah the duality there is a binary code to our reality our own world based on zero, one. whether you want to call it Shiva or Linga Yoni the, the masculine principle and the feminine principle and before anyone of you who may be new gets all caught up in uh, uh, anti-sexist um, considerations it doesn't matter which one is which They're, the masculine is not necessarily good or positive because masculine is also um, um, how would you say uh, uh, compared to positive to penetrating to giving and then feminine is receiving uh negative it just means duality they're one just as valid just as good as the other both in a material sense and we'll see also in a spiritual sense they're just what reality is there is one part of reality that has certain characteristics and another part that has other characteristics that are opposed And they kind of attract one another and they create this whole mechanism, the engine of material world. So the binary code, like I said, you can call it Linga Yoni, Shiva, Shakti, masculine, feminine, positive, negative, good, bad, happy, sad, hot, cold, etc., etc. And all this is reflected in our own experience of pranayama. We were talking last time about the uh, masculine or sun or or, um, hot or heat-related nadi which is the... Well, now I can't remember which one. Anyway, they're all intertwined, right? It's like a big DNA ellipse, the kundalini that um, flows in our body from the root to the last chakra kind of symbolizes uh, us and our particular DNA confirmation and all the potential. Anyway, let's not go there. Um, so... Um, Was I talking about the hot and the cold, the duality of the world? So the very first realization you can have just from breathing, just from bringing your thought, your discrimination, and therefore your awareness, your consciousness to breathing is to be reminded about the duality of the world, that this world is running on a binary code. And what does it really mean? Is the good really good? Is the bad really bad? How can you consider something good if there is no bad? And then there's the transcendental point of view, where both good, material good and material bad are just, you know, to to quote the example that Sri Prabhupada used many times, dry stool and wet stool. There's a story, of like a, a little joke in Bengali, of two people going down a road. Yeah, like, you know, in India there are cows at random, like you would find pigeons in some other cities. And so, they, their droppings are all over, just like the cows. And somebody would be walking down the street and say, Huh, that um, you know, cow patty is all dry on the surface, but if you flip it, it's still wet. Or this cow patty is all dry, but this one is fresh. And the other person is thinking, it's all poop. Why does it matter? So, that is some approach that we could have in relation to matter. Doesn't mean the matter is an illusion. It doesn't mean that it's intrinsically bad. Like I said, let's not make the mistake of demonizing everything. The first encounter, I was saying that one of the reasons why I chose to talk about something, you know, low on the on the ladder of topics, is that I like the idea of Vaishnavs aspiring Vaishnav sadhakas, to be educated that they shouldn't demonize everything. A Vaishnava is somebody who Krishnaizes everything. They see the good, the absolute, They, they see Krishna's smiling face behind any expression of matter, even the most horrible ones. If that is what they have in their heart, you know, the example is given of the bee eye or the fly eye. Bees are always looking for nectar and that's what they find. And flies are always looking for excrements or you know more disgusting things, and that's what they gravitate around. So let's be bees. Let's have the eye of a Vaishnava and see the world through Krishna's world. Okay, so um, we shouldn't demonize anything. So we shouldn't demonize matter. It's not that matter is bad. It's it's an energy of uh, the lord just like the spiritual energy is in fact you can make the case that it's all consciousness it's all energy Uh, in physics they used to talk about energy and matter our scriptures more aptly talk about spiritual energy and material energy and one is the thickening the condensation or the one derives from the other but yes there's all there is is energy god himself can be perceived as pure energy pure consciousness these are all very complex topics that if misworded slightly or slightly misunderstood you know a whole philosophy can come out of uh, a um, I wouldn't say erroneous interpretation but you can understand that these are topics that can be um, interpreted in many ways and they give um, you know, um, rise to many interpretations. But uh, I hope I haven't lost you when I said that everything is energy, everything is consciousness. At the same time, there is matter in a way. Uh, it's like saying material energy is like the steam in in the sky, and then sometimes in the clouds, or you know, the clouds, they take the shape of a dragon or a rabbit so is there really a rabbit is there really a dragon what really is there is steam is water vapor so material energy exists does the table really exist does my body really exist it's all pixels it's all values who gives value to matter consciousness gives value to matter so, and I'm just rambling right now, it's just um, the ABCs of uh, Krishna Consciousness or, or Vedic Accessibility. My point is that you could be reminded of all this just by breathing, just by remembering that you're breathing and what it means or what it could stand for. Another water break? So, um <clears throat> When I said that the first breath in symbolizes our karmic debt, and when we breathe out at the end of our life, it's like we give back what was never ours, you could say, yeah, but there are so many breaths in between. But, you know, mathematically, if you were to put all the inhalations on one side, and all of the exhalations on the other side, they all cancel out. They all amount to one big breath in, and one big breath out. Or in other words, somebody's life can be um, summarized as a one uh, big breath. Does that look? Does that sound familiar? It is said that Mahavishnu is uh, lying. Karanodaka Shai Vishnu is lying on the Karanodaka, so the, the, the causal waters, the, the causal, causal ocean. And as he mm, kind of um, snoozes, it, it, you know, Vishnu doesn't, God doesn't really sleep. He's like he's snoozing around. because Just because from our point of view, sleep means to lose consciousness, to be out of control, to be, you know, steeped in uh, tamoguna and ignorance. How can Vishnu sleep? And how can consciousness lose consciousness? So anyway, he's just snoozing there. And as he breathes out, and universe, infinite universes come out of his pores and his breath. And as he breathes um, in, the universes go back into his uh, persona, himself. So the whole life of the universe is included in one breath of Vishnu. So that's why I said... If you pile up all your breaths in one life, it all amounts in to a one big inhalation and one big exhalation. And uh, this opens the door to another reflection, which is a huge, huge topic and, and one that can also be misunderstood. But I would venture to say that everything that is said about Vishnu Maybe not Krishna, but at least Vishnu. Vishnu is Narayana in relation to the world, to matter, whether it relate uh, remotely related to matter, like uh, Mahavishnu at the very border, <laughs> as if you know it could be conceived in geographical terms. Really, there is no end of the spiritual world. There is this Viraja River. Viraja is. Um, you know, a river, because, again, the Vedas have are, are talking to us at the end of the day. Revealed knowledge is not for people that don't need anything to be revealed to them because they already know everything. You reveal knowledge to people who are ign- ignorance. So the common person understands rivers. There is land, there is a river. There could be another nation on the other side of the river. So, reality to put it in very um, broad terms is expressed, is described like this, there's a spiritual realm and then there's the Virajaya river on on which, it's like a river and an ocean at the same time. It just means the, the, the border between spirit and matter where Mahavishnu lies and he dreams of uh, so many, well, he does, yeah, well, he, mm, uh, how do you say, emanates all these universes Basically, the material world as he breathes in and out, so that's Vishnu, it's not Narayan anymore. Narayan is just, um, you know, concerned with this pastimes within Vaikuntha. So, you have Mahavishnu, Vishnu, and then Garbhodaka Shai Vishnu is the um, what's it called, the ocean of birth. There's the causal ocean, the Garbhodaka, I forget what it's called in English. Causal ocean, it's on the tip of my tongue. Um, There's the milk ocean, the causal ocean. Anyway, the one in between. Garbhodaka. The. Anyway, in Sanskrit it means the ocean of birth. So what I said, what I was saying is that all three can be called Mahavishnu. You will see that in the scriptures they don't really differentiate. They're just one, the expansion of the other. Everything that's said about Mahavishnu. In relation to matter, constitutes a description, a macrocosmic description of what goes on in our own individual microscopic experience. In other words, Vishnu is the uh, Vishwatma, he's the soul of the world, the soul of the universe. He represents consciousness in relation to the compound of a whole universe with all the galaxies and the planets and stars and everything that goes on in each planet and all the dynamics just matter right it's just uh, pixels it's just uh, material energy and so that is matter and what vishnu does in relation to matter it, all the descriptions given about him basically if we were to abstract to the most um, essential components, Vishnu just stands for consciousness. He doesn't just stand for consciousness. I'm not saying that it's all a metaphor or an allegory. There is nothing wrong in conceiving Vishnu as a person lying on the ocean uh, with all his attributes, but he is pure consciousness at the same time. Uh, It's our material nature and and the limited intelligence that makes us go, well, which is it? Is it like that or is it like this? We're talking about the absolute. We have to step out of relative considerations, even just as an intellectual exercise. Just accept certain things uh, on the intellectual level, even if our reality is totally the opposite. So yes, it's the absolute we're discussing. And the absolute can be... Well, it's absolute. It has no limit. It can be personal as well as impersonal at the same time. And it's perfectly fine. (laughs) To make a parallel with quantum physics, you know that there's this big, um, you know, uh, topic in quantum physics, this big consideration that uh, reality, or let's say a photon, an electron, behaves as a particle or as a wave, and the two depend on the consciousness of the observer or the very fact that an observer is there. So, if the observer, say the scientist, uh, is examining matter, say the photon, the electron, expects the electron to, the photon, to behave like a particle, then it behaves like a particle. and if it expects it to behave like a wave it behaves like a wave so that's another profound uh, um, example or expression of how consciousness gives meaning to matter matter for all intents and purposes could very well not exist and that's what we are taught there's a whole realm that we call the spiritual world again don't make the mistake of thinking in geographical terms there is no spiritual world that ends and then the river and all that's just a conceptualization it's all infinite if the spiritual world is infinite it pervades the material world in fact the material world I don't want to say that it doesn't exist but it exists as much as you have material consciousness consciousness is what determines matter Bhava, the feeling, is what determines reality. So, um, again, going back to the virtual reality and the video game, I may be, and I wish we all had the same background and, and knew the same computer game so that I can make a, an example that really touches home for everybody. But, I mean, it's 2022. You may have seen, you, you just may understand vaguely how virtual reality and computer games work let's pretend that um you know these these games have uh, levels uh, first level second level so i'm here the same shama sundar is sitting at the computer um it could be a screen it could be a keyboard or a mouse or it could be cyber goggles and, and a cyber glove so i'm just interacting with this world And I do things, I kill enemies, I I collect all the eggs. There was a game where I had to collect dinosaur eggs. It it came with a MacBook, with the iMac that, that I bought once. And as you achieve a certain goal, you step up. So you are the same person sitting here, but the world you're in, or even just Mario, what's the thing called? Super Mario... I don't know. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't go. I, I never even paid, played Pac-Man. But you know, you go up in level, but you're still here. So all we're asked to do is change our level of consciousness, tune our consciousness frequency, and vibrate at God's frequency, Krishna frequency. That's what they say with the supreme personality of Godhead. God is one. In fact, there's nothing other than God. God and His energies which are one and the same there's nothing other than god we perceive so much differentiation so the supreme personality of god the head means a certain frequency a certain you know set of uh, feelings and characteristics etc that means that if you change frequency you can you know switch to narayan ramachandra varaha and then you go you know left or right wherever in this experience and we are also expressions of God. It's all, you know, consciousness expressing itself, either through the Swarup Shakti's um, scenario or through the Maya Shakti scenario. But we are different from God, but nothing other than God. We are a spark of, uh, of Him. The Jiva is interesting because it's both Shakti and Purusha at the same time. We have a certain agency in this world something something more could be said about that but i don't want to go all over the place um but yeah we are a speck of god and that's why we behave we feel like we are divine and in this world okay i'll say it basically remember how i was talking about masculine and feminine being totally equal so yeah Let's talk about all let's let's go all the way to the climax of transcendence, the dealings between Radha and Krishna. Krishna is the source of everything, he is the source of his own Shakti, the Swayam Shakti is Radharani. And yet we find that in Vrindavan, the secret to Vrindavan is that she is Vrindavaneshwari. The Shakti, yes, she comes from Krishna, but Krishna is all about the love of Radha so just like he is uh, lost for his devotee you know he is the tattva he is uh, or the tattva is that he is omnipresent omniscient omnipotent and yet the bhava the feeling is that he is the friend of uh and subhala who sometimes beat him in wrestling he is afraid he's the son of yeshoda who sometimes chastises him so yes the tattva is what it is but then the feeling creates a different tattva a different reality um and so it's um striking to to find to realize how the energy that comes from god and again it's very very important that you realize that you will always be off-track, if you think in terms of, <laughs> in geographical terms, if you th- if you think in terms of time and space to begin with, you're off-track. Time and space belong to the holodeck that the material world is. They're constructs. We perceive time and space, um, but Again, we units of consciousness that that overpopulate this world, my concept of time is different than somebody else's concept of time. And it's the same substance, so to speak. I'm here having the time of my life talking about reality and Krishna and, and Krishna's energy. And some of you may be thinking, my God, when is this going to be over? Oh, my God, it's already 11.15. So I'm not going to have time to talk about all I wanted to talk about. But you see how time and space are relative by their own nature, because they're material, so they're relative. So don't make the, exam- the mistake of applying geographic sensibilities to Vrindavan, anatomical sensibilities to Krishna's body, before and after sensibility to eternity. It's a mistake. So, yes, Krishna's energy, or, or Krishna is the source of his energy, at what time, you know? Never. It's they both exist at the same time. They're both the same reality. So, does is Radharani subordinate to Krishna? Is Krishna's energy subordinate to Krishna? Huh, ontologically, yes, because it's not the other way around. It's not that Krishna is the product of uh, of uh, the energy. You know, if he was the product, then He would be the energy and and Radharani and everything else would be the source of the energy. One has to be one and one has to be the other. But you can see that they both are valid. They both are good. And you could even make the case, make the point that the energy is actually running things. So, you have this um, effect, this uh, property that Krishna's energy has, where, um, funnily, Krishna is, in fact, the source of everything, the Supreme Personality of Godhead. He's omniscient, he's omnipotent, he's omnipresent, and yet, under the influence of the spirit, of the, of Yoga Maya, his internal Shakti, one second, he thinks he's a a limited human being of sort, you know. He is the helpless child of Yashoda who can tell him, you know, you're grounded or something. And then, on the other hand, we, under the influence of the external energy, who are indeed limited, we are called... Uh, so, Krishna is uh, in, in, in deluded to think he's just a common person with friends and family. and. Under the influence of material energy, we are deluded to think that we are god. Because only in the material world we can think that we are the little gods of our own world, the beneficiary of everybody's friendship and attention. And whether we are educated and civilized, or even if we are educated and civilized and we know intellectually that we're not, Our tendency as a conditioned soul is to think that everything is meant for me. And uh, so, yeah, that's uh, one thing to consider. Energy has more power over the source of the energy, more power than the source of the energy. And again, what does it mean to be the source? A river comes from a glacier. So, yeah. the the glacier is melting and what's ice becomes water but there wouldn't be a glacier if the water from the ocean hadn't evaporated and hadn't traveled as clouds over this area and hadn't snowed in this area and the snow hadn't frozen over many many times over the centuries to create a glacier so which comes first this is not the kind of thinking that we should be making because it, it, it doesn't help us understand and appreciate certain things okay so that was a tangent um, what was I talking about um, duality so i making that point the uh, duality of the material world how focusing on your breath reminds you of all that <laughs> if that is not enough and then uh, more considerations could be there. Um, let me first make sure I said everything I wanted to say about uh Maha Vishnu. So I was saying that, oh yeah, that was an important point. Everything that's said about Vishnu in relation to the world applies to us. Vishnu stands for consciousness. The whole universe stands for matter. In the microcosmic, at the microcosmic level, everything that's said about Vishnu is true of every jiva soul and uh, that's when you know it could get shaky if you don't have a very solid understanding of uh, the world uh, as um, described in the scriptures not that i have it but i'm doing my very best to express this in a cohesive and um, you know helpful way while trying to understand it myself what does it mean it means that um You know how they say that there are infinite universes? One way to see that is that there are infinite jiva souls. Isn't that true? So you could conceive of it as Mahavishnu is lying on the causal ocean and then infinite universes come out of his pore and each universe is filled with infinite souls or you know if you count given that there are infinite universes you cannot count the souls but one way to see that is also that if you were to consider matter the conglomerate of matter as the the holodeck on in the star trek analogy so this area where the laser projectors create a reality there are infinite uh, jiva souls but they could all coexist in the same, say, universe. What does it mean? That, again, we have to go back to the video game analogy. I know that there are games where, uh, unfortunately, many of them are violent. They're like war games. So I'm here in Costa Rica, sitting in my computer, and I'm identified with a certain mm, character I know that there is one where you get to see your arms with the gun. All you see is your arms and you decide where to point, who to shoot at, and whatever they do. They probably just kill one another. But I'm playing with somebody in Scotland and somebody in Vietnam and somebody in Chile. And we're all in our bedroom or something in our office playing the same game. And if my partner the the soldier who's on my team in Chile dies. I see that he dies and he's over there. He, from his computer, sees the central point of view and he's like, oh, I got shot, I died. And the one in Vietnam sees it from a whole point of view and says, oh, Chile guy died. So we all experience the same reality. But nobody will ever see the act of shooting the way I see it or the way he sees it or the way you know nobody will experience it as i got shot only the chilean guy will see it so that's how pretty much all coexist in the spirit in the material world in this universal bubble you could say you know that they say some philosopher says forgive me if i don't know the source that if a tree falls in the forest but you don't hear it did it really fall I remember thinking what the heck just go to the forest whether you heard it or not casually you could walk by and say huh this tree fell at some point the tree is there the tree fell what does that analogy mean i can never understand it if you don't hear it the, the, did the tree even fall what that means is what i've been trying to touch on uh briefly so to speak all this time that if consciousness it's not focused on matter. Matter doesn't matter, you know. If the observer considers matter, the photon as a particle, every it, it, it's 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 um, the observer that gives it meaning. Oh, it behaves like a particle. Uh, you expect it to be a wave. It behaves like a wave. So consciousness, it what gives meaning, is what gives meaning to matter. Just like in the analogy of the video game, I may be here with my you know uh, earphones and say, "Hey, move, they're gonna shoot you. Oh no, they shot you or "Oh, they killed me and suppose I'm a teenager and my mother is behind me sweeping and thinking, "What are you talking about?" None of that is even there. And then myself, I turn off the computer because it's dinner time and I don't care whatever happens in the game, If people are playing among themselves in the rest of the planet I'm just having dinner that is what my reality is now so for all intents and purposes that video game that virtual reality might not even exist that's what it means that if you don't hear the tree fall in the forest it could very well not have fallen because it doesn't affect you you conscious entity don't think oh I get some input from matter. It sounds like a tree crashing. I guess a tree fell. And that's when it becomes, you know, important. That's when it matters, given that it has any relevance to you that a tree fell in the forest. But, you know, the the, the point to bring home is that consciousness gives meaning to matter. And um, I guess we're going to have to do this in two parts because it's, uh, it's getting really late and I don't want to speed up through these points. I'm going to leave the four minutes... For questions or considerations or comments or personal experiences, if there are, and um, I want to take another sip of water. I'm also going to mute the YouTube feed. Feed. There, no more echo. Just the cicadas. Okay, everybody seems to be bamboozled by my cosmic considerations, but that's good. <clears throat> I guess, you know, my, my overarching point is that how much you can draw just from breathing in and out. And a lot more can be said. Um, I guess it would have helped, in retrospect, to actually make a presentation like I did with my other one on prayer and have a PowerPoint Thing so you can actually see the topics that I'm about to touch on and, and you know, the sub-points, so it's easier to, to grasp all this. But, um, you know, this got recorded, so um, you can go back over and over and uh, try to make sense of my cosmic considerations. Let's see if I can wrap it up in a few minutes without opening a whole other parenthesis. Did I say everything I wanted to say? Um... Or I guess I mean we can always cut it short three minutes. It's not the end of the world. Um, maybe I'll make it three minutes longer next time, because uh, it would be really just confusing to to talk about other other things. Meanwhile, let's see. Are there any questions in the in the chat? Nope. Okay. So, uh, next time, I wanted to talk about all the mentions of uh, pranayama in uh, in the scriptures. I wanted to talk about, say, Dhruva Maharaj, who is mentioned um, uh, controlling his breath to the point that at some point he held his breath and all the damage demi- and, and, and the whole universe kind of held his breath at the same time and the demigods were choked the whole universe was like they, they didn't have any more air and that's very important based to what i was saying that we are all alone in the universe in this universal bubble it feels like we're interacting it's like i'm here so and so is there the cicadas are there <laughs> they make that you know they make sure that we understand, that we realize they're there and yet we're all alone with our cyber goggles and our cyber glove in this universal bubble um, the thing is that the bubbles coincide just like a video game it's the same virtual reality but only i can see that virtual reality that yogic, that uh, war scene from my point of view so i'll be expanding more on this next time and um, um, uh, you know it'll be the the second half of my um, uh, my considerations on all that and hopefully something more so thank you for your patience and uh, your company i hope i could be of uh, of help to someone or future people who will look at the watch the recording and i'm going to catch my breath for, for, until the next week